Oh my goodness. Hi, my babies. Welcome to a little juju podcast, the podcast all about black and spirituality, honoring the ancestors ourselves and reconnecting to indigenous ways of living and being in the 21st century. Hi, I'm your host, Juju Bay, and I come to the show <laughs> as a medium, a hoodoo practitioner, and Orisha devotee, Reiki practitioner, child, all the things, most importantly, a bad bitch witch. And I'm so grateful and honored that you are here listening and that I am here and mostly back, <laughs> back normal and hosting the show. Um, if you would like to keep up with the conversation, hashtag ALJPod on Twitter or on Instagram. You can also tag us at a little juju podcast to f- talk, find other people who are talking about it. See what other people have to say about the show. Of course, if you would like me to come to your school, talk to a class, do a workshop through your organization or company, you can hit me up on my site at jujubay.com. Jujubay.com. So let's get into the show. We're going to drop this intro and I'm going to catch y'all up a little bit. And I'm really excited because today we're going to talk about the beautiful art of quilting. But I'm so happy to be back. Let's get into it. Yeah. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is all you need. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. A little juju is the way. It's how I start my day. Camfer no say. And I'll never get play. I'll take your photo to the grave. But that ain't even my thing. I just stay at the crossroads, pray. I just pour a little honey from my face to make them stay. I hate when bay leaves, but I manifest a little with my bay leaves. I'm my ancestors' baby, so I give them everything that they gave me, yeah. So I can't be stopped, manifested everything, gives me props. I'm spiritually rounded while I'm on the top. My spirit's surrounded, so I'll never drop, drop. Okay, okay. Whoo, child. So first of all, big shout out to my sister, my sister girl, LaVon Briggs, who is no stranger to A Little Juju Podcast. She is our favorite black womanist, creator, mystic, everything good and fun and pleasurable, uh, who opened up last show for me because as you may know, I was down with the wrongs. I was down with the coronavirus and... um. As my patrons know or knew that I have been having symptoms of long COVID. And for those who don't know, like some people have been having COVID and it's quote unquote mild and it's lasting like four to five days and they don't feel too bad. And some people, their COVID has uh, carried on for a while and it, it was putting up a good fight and mine was and is, but my body... We're back in action. My body does not ever fail me, but I am still dealing with some of the impacts of having COVID. And maybe in a future episode, I'll go into more detail about that. But um, all in all, it has been extremely traumatizing. So it's weird. It's like I don't have COVID anymore, but I still, my body still feels like it has COVID. And so I still have some of the, the lingering effects of this virus. So I'm sending love to anyone who got COVID, whether you had, you know, it was a cute little couple days and you was good, or you've been like me and just kind of feeling really anxious about the long-term effects. And it's been going on for a long time for you is really intense. And it's been its own lesson for me about a lot of things. Again, maybe in another episode, I'll talk about some of the things that I'm learning and have learned from experiencing this virus and yeah, it's a lot, but sending love to everyone who is healing, who had COVID, and just for our continued protection um, against this wild shit. Um, so again, just thank y'all for being patient as I'm just slow around certain things and getting certain things out. My patrons specifically, um, you know, I'm going to get the reading out, all the things that I normally do. 
I just had a lot of ideas for how I was going to hit the ground running in 2022. And my body and spirit and everything was like, psych! No, you're not, girl. What you're going to do is sit your ass down. And so I've had to do that. It's been extremely hard, but we're doing it. And I'm trying to move with as much compassion for myself as possible. So thank y'all for praying for me and sending me love and for encouraging me that it's okay to not do so much all the time. Because y'all know I like to do a lot. I like to do a lot, 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 lot. Okay. So speaking of my patrons, um, time to shout you out and we'll get into just donations and then we'll have our episode. All you need is a little juju. So I would like to shout out my one patron this week, which is Sun Chow. Thank you so, so much, Sun Chow, for joining the Patreon community. I've been doing a lot of reading and thinking, and I ain't had time to do much else. So I have a lot of interesting things that I'm hoping to bring to my Patreon, and we get back into our regular conversations and all the fun things. So thank you, Sun Chow, for joining the community. I'm so grateful for you. I'm honored for you joining the Patreon. And Um, I'm sending you so much good juju, so many blessings to whatever it is that you're wanting to accomplish or do in your life. I'm praying that you, you know, as you share with me, that the universe shares with you so much abundance, joy, love, prosperity, money, whatever it is that you need, may you have it times a thousand. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All you need is a little juju. So in the spirit of trying not to do too much, I know certain people in my life would be like, girl, now why are you putting out a podcast? You said you was going to But I'm okay. I feel good doing the podcast. I just know that I can't overwork my voice right now because the coffin is just a whole thing. But I wanted to do maybe a shortened episode today because I didn't want to leave y'all hanging. And so we're not going to do segments But I want to talk about quilting. And I was extremely surprised that, I mean, sort of surprised, not surprised, but that I haven't really talked much about quilting in any other previous episodes because quilting and the the art of making quilts, the craftsmanship around making good quilts is so hoodoo. (laughs) It It is so damn hoodoo. And it is so important to our stories, Black African-American, African storytelling and resistance and prayer and meditation and art. So I have to talk about the importance of quilting and some of the historical impacts that quilting has. Well, just the stories that quilting, quilting has given us. And has allowed us to know when things weren't written down or weren't able to be written down or recorded. So, yeah, I'm really, really excited. I was going down a rabbit hole of quilts and quilt making from like, I woke up really early in the morning and started reading about quilts. So I was like, okay, so clearly this is what the ASS women talk about quilts. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So what is a quilt? Let's start there because y'all know I like to get real teachery sometimes. So a quilt is basically, it's a bed covering. It's a bed covering made of two layers of fabric and it is stuffed with cotton, wool, feathers. I saw some accounts where quilts were stuffed with like seeds or, um, I'm sorry, grain. Uh, Pretty much stuffed with whatever you have around and it's stitched together to form a pattern. Um, Typically some type of embroidery, etc., um, and, and of course, you know, prior to the like 1960s, quilting was seen as a necessity. I think now there's a lot of people who are quilt makers. There's a lot of people who make quilts for art and they're in art exhibits and things of that nature. But essentially, because quilting is bedding, it was needed to keep your ass warm. <laughs> you know, it was needed to wrap or swaddle a child. It was used on cold nights to cover doorways and of cabins and windows. And like I said, to sleep on, to have something on your bedding. So because it was so, the utility of the quilt was kind of mundane in a way. There's not a ton of research about the importance of quilting before like 18... 
50s ish there's not a lot of things around quilting because it was just like what you did it's just you need a quilt child you need something on your bed (laughs) so but African Americans and the quilting that we understand when we think of these like beautiful patterns and we think of these uh, particular textile styles that is that dates back for about two centuries so African American people have been quilting in what we think about as like this ornate designs, et cetera, quilting since for about two centuries, which is still a very long time. Okay. So quilting is seen as, you know, women's work primarily, uh, in the, in the U S now, what was interesting is, is that prior to enslavement quilting, you know, of course was happening on the continent and, um, but men would put quilts together as well. And women would decorate the quilts. But of course, when coming to the U.S. through enslavement, new cultural ideas, gender roles changing, you know, it was men weren't really involved in the putting together of the quilts. It was something that women typically did with other women, uh, with young girls in the family. It was things that were passed down from uh, a, a older woman to, you know, a younger sister or a girl child, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, it was heavily women's work in the U.S. and during enslavement. Um, and so early quilts were large pieces of fabric that were just sewn together. And, you know, obviously when we're thinking the utility of qu- of quilts, you know, pre-mid-1800s, they weren't super sexy. They looked more like rugs, in fact, because, you know, the material is not easily accessible. The, when we think about quilting material and bedding material now, obviously that was not accessible or even existed during that time. But, you know, quilts were very shaggy. They were not super ornate. Again, they were just for beds and they were thick and they were made from whatever you could find. So old bedding. Um, I was even reading that old, you know, pieces of clothing, even suits were just cut open and they could be stuffed with whatever they needed to be stuffed with. And it served as a quilt. So again, of course, we know with hoodoo, this African-American religion, it is about using what you have. And I think quilting is one of the most powerful ways that we see our ancestors really using what they had. And it, you know, understanding hoodoo as a, not just a spiritual tradition, but really just like black life, (laughs) black American life. Uh, A quilt, again, is another great example of that because it wasn't just for spiritual purposes, which we'll, which we'll get into. But again, this very fundamental need to be warm, <laughs> you know, to have something on a bed. Or even if you didn't have a bed, something to wrap yourself in, right? So uh, some of the popular quilts patterns, there's like this one called crazy quilt, quote unquote, which I think maybe that's one that a lot of us have seen if you're familiar with quilts, which is just like the large pieces of fabrics, different shapes sewn together, different colors. It's a little square over here. This looked like a piece of something else. This is a whole different pattern. That's what they call the quote unquote crazy quilt. And that's one of the oldest patterns for quilting specifically for African-Americans, which makes sense when thinking about um, having to use the materials that you need. You don't have to all, you're not always going to have the same color of this, or this thing is coming from over here. This scrap is coming from this. This scrap is coming from old bedding. This scrap is coming from a former quilt and we're going to put it all together. Um, but what's interesting is that the early, you know, crazy quilt patterns were very similar to quilts made in Western Central Africa. There were still similar patterns that show up in the crazy quilts. It's such a weird name. I'm I'm doing air quotes because I'm like, why why can't I be crazy? But okay, for the crazy quotes, quote unquote. So they favored a lot of patterns um, and materials and textiles that were found on the continent, of course. And so quilting, you know, really became a bonding activity. There were something called quilting bees, I believe. And it was when women came together, um, 
and prayed together, to socialize, to learn more about each other. It was like meeting up. Yeah. You know, when our ancestors were meeting up with the girls, okay, they was quilting. You know, now we might grab a drink. Now we might, you know, watch a movie together. We may go to the movies. No, baby, they were quilting down, okay? So they actually had things that were really, you know, it's a very quiet practice. So I can only imagine like the intimacy in what it meant to make quilts with whether your family um, or you know, your homegirls or people that you were getting to know or people that you were in the same church with, et cetera. It feels like a very intimate act. And I'll also add that even though quilting became a, you know, was seen as sort of woman's work, quote unquote, um, particularly in the South, but everywhere, it's not that the family was not involved in the putting together of a quilt because when we're thinking about people who were picking cotton, you know, man, woman, child, person, whoever was still had to pull the sticks, pull the leaves, insects, whatever, out of the cotton and fluff it out. So then it could be used to put into the quilt. And women weren't just doing that, right? So there is a, it's a really interesting to think about how the act of putting together a quilt probably did involve like an entire family or did involve certain members of a community just because someone still has to go through and pick the cotton. Someone has to go through and then pull the debris out of the cotton. Um, or, or this was a piece of clothing that my brother used to wear. His sock is all messed up. I'm going to sew him a new sock, but I'm use this old sock to put into the quilt. I'm going to use an old quilt that's deteriorating to stuff into a new quilt, which is also super interesting when you think about it, but I'm just getting really deep. <laughs> But like, isn't it kind of cool that like, because these materials were like live materials, organic materials, raw materials, they, they're not lasting that, that long. So when they started to deteriorate, that deteriorated quilt cloth materials would be stuffed into a new quilt. So it's like almost like history or that that energy is kind of containing itself. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Y'all feel me? Like, I just think it's really cool. I don't know. So... Um, there's a lot of defining, different defining characteristics of the quilts, like the use of bold colors. I think when we think about quilting and quilts, we think like the bold colors, the, the reds and the blacks, which have particular spiritual meanings. Um, hello, we'll get in, get into it. Yeah. Um, the asymmetric compositions, um, the use of certain prints over other prints. And when we get to the 1850s, 40s, that's when we started to see, like I said before, the quilts that we think of today sort of showing up the colors, the patterns, etc. They weren't this like rug material or the shaggy bed rugs that we, that they had access to before, but there's now there's more trading, there's more, um, materials coming from other countries and they were accessible to, uh, even enslaved people, they were accessible to slave owners and so black folks actually were able to, and our ancestors who were enslaved or even indentured servants had access to this sort of readily made material. So some cloth patterns um, linked to African-American uh, textiles are the kente that we see often, which y'all know maybe, or you've heard of like the kente cloth, the the things that you come, that come to mind with that. Um, there's another one called the Bogolafini and the Cuba. So the Kente textiles are from the Ivory Coast. And those uh, patterns were derived from sayings. They were derived from famous royalty. And those textiles told stories of their ancestors. With the Bogolafini textiles, they are also pretty well known and they favor the patterns such as the four leaf, the flower, pan panther skin, and others. In the show notes, I'll have some, the links to what I'm reading from and where I did my research. So you'll be able to see some pictures, but also feel free to, you know, Google the four leaf, you know, textile pattern or quilting pattern so that you can really get um, in your mind what these actually look like. And many patterns in the famous dashiki, okay, that came back in the 60s, came from uh, a Mali, a tribe in Mali, which is 
who also created the Bogolon Fini cloth. So this is from the people in Mali, our Mali ancestors. I have some Mali ancestry. Hey, gang, gang, gang. So yes, that dashiki, even though we see that a lot of people be wearing the dashikis now, you know, black power movement and then the resurgence of the dashiki, we can also see similar patterns sort of showing up in traditional African-American quilts. But you know, now the girls is getting dashikis from Amazon, so that's neither here nor there. But of course, always has some type of cultural significance. Um, and then the Cuba textiles are famous because of their um, applique <laughs> embroidered patterns. Um, and it's decorated with uh, cowrie shells. So I don't think I've seen many quilts decorated with cowrie shells, but that, or just that textile style, but that sounds really beautiful. Um, and I believe this comes from the Congo that the Congo developed patterns used in with these like sort of geometric, you know, rhythmic geometric shapes. And again, you will still see that in those shapes and colors today in a lot of, you know, Afrocentric fabrics, quote unquote, Afrocentric attire, um, garb, etc. So, so, you know, even when thinking about quilts and they're not being much uh, information about quilting as we know it today prior to the 1850s. You know, around this time frame, the Civil War is happening. That's in 1860. That's in the 1860s. So the use of the quilt during the Civil War is super interesting because quilts were pieces that soldiers carried with them to remind them of home, to remind them of family, to ground them in, you know, who they may be fighting for. Uh, You know, I'm thinking about Union soldiers because, you know, our ancestors were very much a part of the Civil War, um, who they were fighting for. And this idea that a lot of soldiers were buried in quilts um, and a lot of soldiers who died, you know, Everybody, but, you know, I'm talking about, you know, black folks who died, who were unnamed soldiers were still covered in quilts. So maybe their names were not known or they were not, they did not have proper burial ceremonies, but their bodies were wrapped in something that, you know, a wife made, a daughter made, a a, a mother made, a sister made, an auntie made. And so quilts are sort of this, this, um, this this passage into another realm or or into another life, even though these folks were not able to have proper burials, they were still sort of covered in this like familial love, maybe even an heirloom. And I just think that that's something really interesting. And I think there, there's just like a lot of different ways to to go through that, especially because quilts you know, are not, weren't only something that people were wrapped in to be buried, but they were also things that held babies when babies were born, babies were wrapped in that. And then the quilt would also be, you know, on a bed that the family slept in. And then the quilt, so like the quilt is, it's just like experiencing a lot of different phases of life and transitionings and birth. Um, the quilt being on the bed, bed of a newly married couple, like quilts are sort of like, uh, important part of black American life. So I know a lot of times now we don't really think about quilts, maybe unless you have someone in your family who was quilting. I came from a quilting grandmother, but she ain't quilted in a long time. I knew how to quilt when I was young. I don't know how to quilt now. <laughs> so it, it's, to be honest, it's something that kind of left my own, you know, family recollection and, but now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I had that when I was really young. It was passed down to me. Oh, you know, what is this quilt experience? What does it seem? But if we take ourselves from this time frame, back then, quilting and having a quilt was important. It was very, very important. It was a way of life. It was how people bonded. It was how people prayed together. It signified um, birth and even death. So I really, really wanted to highlight that. 
You know, quilting. Also, I was reading a story about Elizabeth Hobbs Keckley, who was born an enslaved woman, but she ended up making dresses, I think, for somebody in the White House wife child. I don't know, but she she bought her freedom from her embroidery skills. And she learned her embroidery skills because her mother, who was also an enslaved woman, taught her how to make quilts and taught her how to sew. So Elizabeth Hobbs Keckley, you know, what quilting was not just the bonding. It was not even just spiritual. It was not even just all these things. It also helped our ancestors make money. People sold quilts. I was reading a story about another quilt maker who sold her quilt for $5 and now the quilt is in some big museum somewhere, child, worth a bunch of thousands of dollars. But she actually was able to do a lot for herself and her family with that $5 that she sold her quilt for that is now thousands of dollars. Now, I don't know how I feel about, well, I do know how I feel about that. That rubs me <laughs> in a weird way, but you know, it, it is what it is. But you know, so again, I also wanted to talk about like the economic impacts of what it meant to have a, a very useful skill that is sewing, that is quilting. Back in the day, you knew how to sew. Everybody knew how to sew. <laughs> you just knew how to sew. Particularly, particularly if you were a woman, you knew how to sew. Now, there is a documentary called Hidden in Plain View, A Secret Story of Quilt and the Underground Railroad. Um, which talks about this sort of freedom that's found in quilting patterns. So basically the doc goes on to talk about how there were messages in quilts. There were, um, yeah, basically codes. There were codes that our ancestors knew and understood and that they could see them. And if they were hung out of certain houses, you could maybe see, you know, is this a safe house that I can go to or not? Or, this quilt that's hung on a clothesline, if I'm running, I can see from afar, right? Because quilted, quilts often have these like very, can have these really big noticeable patterns. So you can kind of see from afar, okay, this is kind of showing me I can go this way. I should go another way. This house is safe. This house is not safe. Maybe even breaking, it was like a map. Um, which obviously is extremely interesting when we think about quilts hung, being hung out of windows on fence posts and clotheslines. It just looks like, oh, the quilt is hanging out to dry or the quilt is doing this, but it's actually telling people what's safe and what's not safe and which way people can go. Um, and our ancestors can memorize sort of the blocks and understand local layouts for shelter, uh, safety, and assistance from these quilts. All you need is a little juju. But there were some there was some pushback from a lot of like quilting scholars and um like folk story scholars saying that that's not completely accurate because there's not a lot of documentation that suggests that quilts were doing all of that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um I and, and and to be fair, I think historically um, we need evidence. Uh, and I also think that just because there's not a ton of people having written about quilts, showing them the way or being, um, being, having these sort of secret codes in them, in them, I don't think that means that it didn't exist. I think that that very much means that it could have existed <laughs> because first of all, a whole bunch of our ancestors were not reading and writing. Okay. And second of all, that was not a safe thing to be reading and writing about if they were reading and writing, writing in particular. And I think that our ancestors have always found ways, ways to escape ways to communicate that was not by mouth we know that they communicated with drums and signs and all those other things like why would why would quilting not be <laughs> one of the ways that they were communicating safety to each other or mapping out our ancestors were also uh, I can't think of where it was a specific place a specific group within the diaspora that was braiding maps and codes into hair. So I'm just like, I get that, that, that this particular um, documentary had a lot of pushback from historians, 
But I also think that we just have to read certain things from like our own spiritual eye. And I don't see, it makes complete sense that quilts were used, (laughs) you know, with codes. Um, And that safety could be portrayed through quilting patterns. Like, why not? I don't know. So I wanted to say that because I, I, I came across that in my research. Now, quilts are one of the things that a lot of quilters and like quilt historians and people who quilt say is that they are diverse. You know, their quilts are as diverse as we are, they are people. So there's a lot of different types of quilts. There's improvisation quilts, there's contemporary quilts, there's patchwork quilts, there's narrative quilts, there's emancipation quilts. So, and even after emancipation, the styles of quilting changed because of more access, because of maybe different ideas or thoughts that were coming to our ancestral mother's heads as they're piecing together fabric and material that weren't there before when they were enslaved people. I'm not saying that, you know, the whole world changed overnight and everything was happy and jolly after emancipation. We know that. But there, I can imagine that there would be some type of shift in someone's um, uh, artistic abilities artistic abilities and how they're showing up based on just what's going on in the times. So yes, a lot of quilters just want us to know (laughs) if you're not a quilter, that quilting is diverse. And just because we have certain ideas of what quilts look like in our minds, quilts can look all different kinds of ways and they're all valid. Um, You know, and I think for myself too, I was thinking like, you know, even if quilts were not used all the time for resistance or all the time to map out safe houses doesn't mean that another quilt that was just a bonding experience for the women who were at church is less important, right? It doesn't matter. All of it, all of it matters. All of it, the, the freedom quilts, the social quilts, the prayerful quilts, the quilts to keep the baby warm, the quilts that lovers can sleep on, the quilts that wrapped fallen, uh, soldiers and murdered union soldiers bodies you know, all of it matters. And it's not just about, you know, the stories and the colors and the whatever. It's it's just that the fact that it's a quilt <laughs> and it was made by our people. And also, um, I do want to highlight this point until I get into my, my last couple points, is that uh, I already mentioned that, you know, our ancestors were not reading and writing, you know, at the same, didn't have, did not have the same access to do so, though many were they could make. So our ancestors are no stranger to storytelling. Obviously we're, we're orators, um, but we're also makers and can make a lot of things with our hands. And I think that there's, that there's literally just so much good narrative and story in quilt making. And although some of the shapes and what they mean may have been quote unquote buried. I'm not even going to say lost. It doesn't mean that we can't find out. You know, we have spiritual means to find out what certain things meant, if they meant anything at all. Right. And that I think this is such an important aspect of our history that is worth researching and exploring so much more. And I also want to say to, to the people in Baltimore, like me, there's a lot of quilt history here. There's a lot of quilts made here. There's like different quilting groups. There's there's some quilts put up at the Reginald F Museum. Um, the Oblate Sisters, which is um, a Catholic, Black Catholic women, like some of the oldest um, nun. Oh my God. Ugh. The Catholic girls are going to go wild because as a former Catholic, I don't have the words, but I'm very familiar with the Oblate Sisters. I have stayed in a nun house. I can't even think of the term, <laughs> but I've stayed with the Adelaide sisters in the nun house as a child. Um, but I'd read today that they were one of the people before the 1850s that was doing quilt making classes, um, and teaching people in Baltimore and young girls, young girls specifically how to quilt and how to embroider in like the thir- 1830s, honey, the Oblate, the Oblate sisters are those girls. But anyway, so yeah, I think it's just such a really important and impactful part of our history and spirituality. Now, there are different characteristics of African-American quilts. So I will say a lot of people quilt, a lot of different ethnic groups quilt. Um, 
it's common, but there are certain characteristics that make a quilt, you know, a black quilt. So there are nine that I was able to find based on uh, my research. So there's the African weave pattern. And this is the particular pattern that I, when I opened up the show, I said that males would put together and the women would decorate. So there's this African weave pattern. And I wish the thing about podcasts, y'all can't see what I'm talking about. Um, but the second is use of large shapes and whole cloth, single colored fabrics. There is the, actually, let me go back to that second one because for the use of large shapes or whole cloth, single colored fabric, I want to read this, this piece. And it says in Africa, the need to be able to recognize people from afar distances was crucial for warring tribes and traveling hunting parties. The use of large shapes is still reflected in contemporary quilters, uh, particularly in Alabama is what they're talking about. And then they have a picture of a quilt that was made in the 1950s by a woman and the the large kind of shapes and colors they're saying are very similar to um, what was created in Western Central Africa because um, they were able to be seen from far away. And so that's something that's been passed down that we see in a lot of African-American quilts. The third is the strong visuals of percussive colors. So there are certain colors that tend to show up in a lot of quilts. Um, this particular resource says the aggressive color patterns <laughs> in African-American quilts. I don't know why they got to be aggressive, but, you know, I don't think they meant nothing bad. Um, and, of course, you know, these quilts were influenced by European patterns, but there are still certain aspects of it that be like, oh, okay, but that's a Negro quilt. So this is like the um, traditional colors. So the black, for example, and the repeated patterns of black in quilts is found in a lot of African-American quilts. It represents uh, maturity and the intent and expression of intense spiritual energy. It also talks about pink, recurring pinks and purples being uh, feminine colors and those typically being worn by women. And then actually the writer in this says, is it possible this is where we got the use of pink for baby girls, question mark. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then also the color red is shown, which is a color of blood. Obviously red representing sacrifice, vitality, uh, life or death. Uh, colors of yellow being associated with high value. When we think of you know, golds, high price, cute, fun, abundance, prosperity, uh, alshun, right? Color being yellow and lukumi. Also white, um, white borders or white showing up repeatedly in quilts representing celebration of white clothing being uh, purity, um, honoring life, etc. So number four, we have asymmetry. So, you know, this sort of balancing of the color and check texture is very African-American quilt style. Repeating patterns um, to be very similar and concise and strict and orderly is not... Um, a traditional quilting pattern in a lot of the older quilts because breaks in patterns are supposed to protect the wearer of the quilt from evil spirits. So, <clears throat> excuse me, there was not, there's, there wasn't this like very strict way to put together patterns. They may, there may be asymmetry. There may be a bunch of pink lines and then there's like a purple square right there. And then we go back to the, the pink lines. So, there's some notation here that that was also a, a spiritual means of protection um, for the wearer. Um, five, we have quotes that are record keeping or storytelling. So, you know, telling history on cloth is an age old tradition in a lot of cultures. And it was a way to keep records of historical events, natural occurrences. They're talking about eclipses of the sun, important dates in personal history, um, tribal his history. And it was also a way to appease or appeal to certain deities. Um, so it provided this, this uh, record that could be passed down to generations. I'm telling you that this is what this 
claw shape means in the quilt. And this is something that is ancestral to us. So you're caring, you know what that means. So you can tell your children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's quilting is a form of conversation, intergenerational conversation. And we can see a lot of examples of stories being told in quilts. Okay. Um, number six is religious symbols. So there are a whole bunch of, there are a whole bunch of different spiritual meanings imprinted in quilts, stitched into quilts from stories of the Bible to, um, you know, animals that have spiritual meaning meanings, totems, the shape of certain diamonds and other shapes that were known by, you know, communities. And it, it told a, a spiritual story or it did something spiritual. Um, and as I was saying before, you know, some of these stories we don't know anymore, or we don't know what particular shapes or colors or totems meant, but I think, I feel like we could figure it out. I feel like we could figure it out. If you check out the, uh, one of the resources that I've been pulling a lot of my information from, you'll see that there's a pattern on here and there's like this, this particular grid and the author actually doesn't know what that shape means, but is asking like the viewers, like, what do y'all think that this means? So I think that that was interesting. It looks like a, like a F shape. It's called the flying F. Um, number seven is the protective charm. So of course we, we get into the real juju. We get into the hoodoo. Um, our our ancestors, of course, were showing, sewing charms. They were, uh, sewing mojo. They were sewing them into the quilt itself to protect the wearer. Um, the same way that there wouldn't be like this perfect quilt pattern in some places is the same way because that was like inviting God's anger. Because basically uh, I'm reading that, you know, to have a perfect quilt would mean that you're trying to say that you're God. So that there were, there were, there were supposed to be some imperfections to show that the creator, you know, is, is the perfect, is the, is the ideal energy. And you're not the creator, so you're not going to make this kind of perfect quilt shape. Now, of course, that doesn't go for every quilt because a lot of quilts that I've seen, they look damn near perfect to me. So this isn't for all quilts, but this is just something that you will see in a lot of African-American quilts. Quilts. But yeah, they were, they were um, putting in juju symbols, mojos, probably spiritual items, charms, etc., and then sewing over it the shapes and the patterns that were protective or healing or maybe resistance or all of the different possibilities. So I love this idea of like like mojo bags being stuffed or some type of charms or maybe good luck feathers or pieces of plant matter or material being stuffed and used in the patterns of the quilt. And that feels like an extremely powerful tool. I don't know, like a juju quilt, sign me up, honey. Okay, so that was seven. Number eight is called strip or string quilting, and that has roots in West Africa. So this is the type of quilting where there's different strips of cloth torn and cut to create, you know, warm bedding. Um, it's actually really beautiful, the picture of the stripping quilt that I'm looking at. So just like kind of like a stripping pattern. It's very an unpredictable pattern, lots of really nice colors in them, brighter colors. And it was really a utility quilt. It was very long lasting for just bed coverings, which is what quilts are. And then the last thing that we see in a lot of African-American quilts is improvisation. So creating and changing old patterns is a major factor in the development of ethno-aesthetic of this type of bedding and folk art. So improving your pattern. So this sort of breaking of the pattern, which we've talked about to avert the evil spirits. Um, and then after that, it became sort of this matter of expression. So I'll also say that just because some of these things had their spiritual meaning doesn't mean that they continue to have them. Some people like, you know, my, my grandmother has told me to do certain things that have, probably some type of spiritual context that she don't know. She just be like, I don't know. That's what my mother told me. So some of the quilt patterns that we may see 
now or <clears throat> just we've seen in the past, not in 1800s, right? They mirror some of these old quilting styles and patterns. They mirror improvisation. They're not perfect. They do break patterns, but it may not be to keep away evil spirits, but it's just something that has been retained and passed down. So we just do it because that's what we do, right? So those were the nine. So again, it was some of the qualities of African-American quilts, specifically the African weave pattern, the use of large shapes, strong visuals of percussive colors, asymmetry, recording uh, and storytelling, religious symbols, uh, protective charms and patterns, strip or string, uh, quilting, and improv, improvisation. I really, really, really enjoyed researching and learning about quilting. And it felt very emotional for me because... Again, like I said, I was raised quilting, and I ain't touched quilting since I've been about nine. <laughs> so I used to know how to quilt hand and sewing machine, but I I don't know how to do that. But it's really kind of enlivening something in me that is making me want to do that. And I just encourage people to, you know, maybe talk to family. If they grew up with a quilt, they had a quilt. If there's some type of quilt heirloom in your family or was there any quilters around you or in your community or in your city that you know of and ways to kind of like support the quilting community, I'm going to try to find some things and put them in the show notes for us just to kind of engage. And so that this practice doesn't doesn't die. I was watching a, a, a little documentary a short documentary, which of course we in the show notes about Nora Lee Condra, who was a quilter. And she said, quilting is just like prayer. And she was like, sometimes it, it, it felt like what she was saying was that it's, it's so meditative. And when you're doing it, she was like, it's like, God is, it's like God was moving her hands to stitch. And I can only imagine like the divine, messages that come when you're in such a really deep meditation or for your psychology person, you know, like the, that energy of flow when you're in flow, it doesn't even feel like work. It's just like, ah, there's so many possibilities when you're doing something that is super meditative that you're enjoying. And she was like, yeah, she, she felt like God was talking to her when she quilts. <clears throat> and it was something that her mother taught her and her mother taught her and her mother taught her in a way that she's She's lost her family members, but she still has quilt of her auntie. She still has a quilt of her mother and her grandmother that, you know, she says it feels like they're still there and that she she hasn't fully even mourned them because she has their quilts. So there's no reason to really mourn. And I just thought that that was so interesting and powerful, really. Like there's 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 really a lot. There's a lot here. <laughs> you know, I, didn't, I really didn't even touch the surface. Um, but. I felt it was super important, and I want to um, <clears throat> close out with this um, quote that I found. And it says, I think we get so emotional about quilts because they're such an integral part of many people's lives. Mrs. Banbury told the Arkansas Democrat Gazette in 1998. They're on the bed, they're there at birth, they're there at death. They're part of the marriage bed. They're part of our lives. And they give us so many memories. You'd call a quilt like you would a child. It says her mother-in-law would lift up the trunk lid and say, come see my sugar bowl. She didn't say, come see my blue and white quilt. So again, I, I thought that was such a good uh, quote because it really situates, situates us at the time when quilting was extremely important to everyday life and black life. And having a new quilt, that was like the thing. That was the, you saw the shapes on them. You called them, the, this was the sugar bowl quilt. When I was watching the documentary with Nora Lee Condra, she was calling her quilts different names. She's like, oh, this is the tree of life quilt. And this is the quilt. This is the fishtail quilt. And this one over here, my aunt did. That's the bear claw quilt. She would show the patterns. And they look like all the things that she said. So, um, yeah, I just, I hope you all enjoyed this 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 episode today 
I plan to take a quilting class. I think I feel very inspired to do that. I think it would be a nice thing to kind of go back to. I need some meditation, child. I need things to do, honey. And I'm wondering how we could use quilting today as a form of, excuse me, our own prayers, our own meditations, our own resistances, our own heirlooms, the things that we are able to pass down that aren't, when we talk about leaving legacy, that aren't necessarily money or all the other things that we, you know, would hope to to pass to, to other people or young people in our lives or just in our communities, but like a quilt, you know, a protective quilt. Can we make protective quilt for new babies that are in our lives? So I am, my mind is going a lot of places. I would love to hear from the quilt makers. I would love to hear from people who are interested in sewing and what your ideas are. Of course, you can hashtag ALJPod. And yeah, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I said it was going to be short and it's giving an hour. We'd love to see it. <laughs> we love to see it. But y'all know when I get in my research bag, I get deep in it. But I hope you all enjoyed. If you would like to reach out to me, of course, you can find me on Instagram at I-T-S-J-U-J-U-B-A-E. Also at A Little Juju Podcast on IG. I'm at It's Juju Bay on Twitter. I'm at It's Juju Bay on, on TikTok. I also always forget to say that. You can hit me up on my website, jujubay.com. No more It's Jujubay.com, honey, because we own the domain over here. We own the Jujubay.com domain. <laughs> so you can be up there. Make sure you check out our merch. We got a whole bunch of goodies there. Thank y'all for being patient with me. I'm going to try to get over this. This COVID, honey. I'm going to make me a a COVID protection quilt, y'all. And uh, I love y'all. I will talk to you next time. And remember, all you need is a little juju and maybe a quilt. I don't know. Later. A lot of times you have, you you said, Lord, and and as you quilt, just the needle going through. It's Lord, it will look like the needle is saying that. And as you do it, it the more you do it, the more you want to do it. And it's just like prayer. By the help of God, I can do it. And you can. <laughs>